This is the Hard Parking Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Finning. Hard Parking Podcast is sponsored by NSX Channel on Instagram, your number one source of NSX content. Whether it's an old classic model like mine or one of the new, vastly more efficient 2017 plus NSXs. To see all the best NSX content on Instagram, make sure you visit NSX Channel. Before we go any further, we got to hear about Este Vato, the second of the Chingona Order on Fire series from Gabe Hernandez. This is a paid advertisement. Indiegogo. Get involved. Back the project today on Indiegogo for Este Vato, the Hitman Store, the second comic to the Chingona Border on Fire released this year. Get involved. They have some great rewards at many pledge levels. Go to Indiegogo.com. Search the projects Este Vato, E-S-T-E-V-A-T-O. Watch the video on the campaign page. Make a pledge. Share with your social networks as well. Gabriel Hernandez with GH Comics is excited to bring you the second story to follow up the Chingona series, Border on Fire. Este Bato, a.k.a. The Dude, introduces you to the uprising of a young boy who moves to the ranks of the cartel world. They also introduce you to other villains as well, but the first nemesis and arc rival of Chingona is the infamous Este Bato. Learn more about the comic, the creator, the series, and how to get involved with this project. Offering some exclusive early bird discounts. Again, that's Este Vato. Hitman Story on Indiegogo. Go support today. So excited. Can't wait. One of these podcasts, I'm going to be wearing my Chingona Border on Fire shirt. In a little bit, we're going to be joined by Jane D'Amelio. Does incredible charity work. She's going to talk about the McKenna Claire Foundation, as well as AZ Leo's Backpacks to School Supply Drive. And we're going to get a little bit of her history. If you saw the blog I did on Brendan Davies, she's the one that I was talking about. She's in that video. Brendan is her wish buddy. Brendan is a terminally ill youngster. So we're going to find out about that in a little bit. Also, if you've been paying attention on social media, this is the episode where I'm going to do a lot of Q&A. A lot of Q&A. These are going to be car questions, non-car questions. As promised, those questions that I choose to answer will be entered for a chance to win some awesome hard parking podcast swag. Got a couple things going for Keychain. There's also a treasure hunt going on, so I look forward to actually doing that. This will be the first episode, so this is your opportunity. When I say you can ask me a car question or a non-car question, that's really your opportunity to get to know me better. That's coming up in a little bit. But first, there's this thing that I've been dealing with, and it's super weird. There's this phenomenon that I've been going through lately, and let me, let me just kind of back up a little bit. So I used to watch a show years ago called Life on Mars. I don't know if any of you have seen it. It only had one season. The main character, he had an accident. He woke up and it was 1973. And nobody would believe him that he was from the future. It was, it was kind of a comedy crime detective show. It had Harvey Cattell, Michael Imperioli, 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 that guy. And then the main character was um, some other guy. That doesn't matter. The point is, the main character, every once in a while, he'll see something, like a glitch. And nobody else will see it. So he'll see like these little flies, like literally a fly that's in your backyard. But it'll have like a little... It'll be like a robot fly and it kind of looks at it, but nobody else sees it. It'll be crawling out of someone's eyes and shit. And I've kind of experienced something like that recently with the clock. Like I look at the clock and it'll be the same time. And what I mean is I look at the clock and it'll be 1212. It'll be 1111. It'll be one, two, three, four. For those of you who aren't keeping track, that's 1234. 222, 333, 444, 555. I'm sure you get it. And for a few weeks, it's like almost every time I looked at the clock, it's like, holy shit, there it is again. And I tell my son about it, and my mother-in-law, and my daughter. All my wife ever says is, let's play the lotto. You're meant to win the lotto. 
I don't know, man. I don't know. Do you guys believe in the lotto? Let me know. Do you guys believe in believe in luck? Of course, it's just luck, right? To me, luck is chance. All it is is chance. There's no such thing as good luck. There's no such thing as bad luck. There's no such thing as, well, let me tell you a story. On a couple of the podcasts recently, I've talked about the job that I had in the mid-90s, and actually 1995 to be exact, where I sold perfume. I worked for a company called World Perfume, and it was a super weird hustle. It was one of those things, multi-level marketing, you're all familiar with that. And so just to catch some of you up, well, most of you up, I was in Dallas, where I, where I grew up. And on Sunday, you would go to this place, and you'd be in this big room with all these people, of course, and they'd do their whole spill on the, on the, on the board, and they would split you up. You'd all have a team lead, and the team lead was like, okay, well, team lead A, Susie, Susie, you have your eight team members. Today, you're going to Oklahoma City. Tyler, you're going to Truth and Consequences, New Mexico, and you take your team. So I did that for eight weeks, surprisingly, and I was a veteran because what happens is most people get burned out in the first or second week. The point is I was working with a guy named Steve. I don't even remember where we were working, maybe in small town Oklahoma. And remember, like I said before, with this job, you weren't allowed to bring extra money because part of your motivation was to sell these products so you can get money. You had to give them a certain part of your money, and the rest of the money was up to you to spend on gas, on food, in pocket. It was a big-time hustle. Poor me. Poor anybody who ever is so desperate enough to have to work a job like that where you get fucked. You get bohicaed. Do you guys know what bohica stands for? Bend over, here it comes again. That was a bohica job. And I worked it, man. I was a trooper. I worked it for eight weeks. One day, Steve and I, we're split off, and we're somewhere in small town Oklahoma. We're running low on money. We're not making any sales. And what happens is you leave the hotel at like 7 a.m., and you don't come back. You call in from a payphone. You guys know what a payphone is, right? You call in from a payphone at 1230 to report your numbers. And then you go back to the hotel at five and you do it all over again the next day. And each day you're designed, you're, you're assigned to work a specific area in that region. And sometimes it's a hundred miles away. Sometimes it's 50 miles away. Sometimes it's 200 miles away, which sucks by the way. What all sucked? So Steve and I, we're running low on money we're in some small town. And I remember us being really hungry. We got, we only had a few bucks left. We needed to figure out how to get gas. No one wants to buy our product. We only sold a few. I remember there was a house with apples and I was like, Hey man, let's go get some apples, man. Let's get some. He was like, nah, man. Like I wanted to, I wanted to literally go to their front yard and grab some apples. I have lemon trees in my backyard. I got three, three lemon trees. First off, who the fuck plants three lemon trees? Why don't we have a lemon tree, an orange tree and a lime tree? That's what we need. Who needs three lemon trees? Anyway, I don't think we ever landed apples, but we were down to two bucks. We needed gas. We went to the gas station. I said, hey, man, I'm feeling good. I'm going to go inside, and I'm going to buy a scratch-off. And we're going to win some money, and we're going to go back to the hotel. And Steve says, you better not go in there, and you better not buy that scratch-off ticket. We have $2 left. I said, I'm going to do it. I feel good. I'm feeling real good. Because, you know, everything is like, what's the worst thing that happened, right? No money. Hundreds of miles away from where we're supposed to be. So I did it. I walked my happy ass right into that gas station. I bought a scratch-off ticket. I didn't win shit. I don't believe in luck. He got so mad too. He was like, I cannot believe you spent. We were down to $1. What did we do? I'm pretty sure he went to the ATM and pulled some money out. We broke the rule. Because you're not allowed to do that. You have to earn the money. You can't bring the money because that's cheating. Yep, that's right. I don't believe in luck. 
It's all chance. 100% chance. No such thing as luck. It's chance. Coming up, Jane D'Amelio. It's time for the social media highlight of the week, brought to you by Kuya Automotive, currently specializing in new and used NSX parts. NSX owners right now get on the Pride Carbon Brake Duct. Save $15 on this special item by using code HARDPARKING, one word, during checkout. Hurry up and head over to Kuya Auto. That's K-U-Y-A-A-U-T-O.com, or visit the store on Instagram, Kuya underscore Automotive today. That's Kuya Automotive, where big brother's looking out for you. Today's highlight is guest Jane D'Amelio of Wright Toyota. Featured in the past at toyotadriverseat.com for her exceptional work on making wishes come true. Jane, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you for taking the time. I'm sorry it's taking so long to get you on here. No, I appreciate it. Yeah, I've been talking about you. I talked a little bit about the video, the, the very poor video that I made <laughs> <laughs> for Brendan's event, his big car day. I thought it was great. It wasn't that bad. But I didn't really get you guys as much because like a noob, I had it on time lapse the oh. entire time you guys are talking so it, that video lasted 0.9 seconds <laughs> and as much as i tried to slow it down i was like oh god oh god oh. but at least i got him on there throwing up his little peace sign and stuff like that yeah he's a great kid i really appreciate you, got you coming out everybody coming out it was awesome for something that we put together quick i think we planned it for like two weeks and to have the amount of people that showed and the support and the funds raised to help his family through COVID-19. Uh, it was huge. It, I can't thank everybody enough for showing up, including yourself. Of course. You know, I'm always there. I'm always going to be there. Let's talk a little bit about some of the things you have going on and how people can make a difference. But first, let's dig into you a little bit. Ah. Tell me a little bit about, because you do right Toyota, right Honda. You go back and forth between here and pretty much everywhere. You're the marketing yeah. director? So I'm the director of uh, philanthropy for five of the David Wilson Automotive Group stores. So I have Claremont Toyota, Huntington Beach Toyota, Red Toyota, Red Honda. And then I help out on occasion with Toyota of Las Vegas, trying to put Vegas on the map with the, you know, the philanthropy work we do, supporting the car groups, the truck groups, and our charities, because a lot of the Arizona charities now have chapters in, in Vegas. A few of them actually have chapters in California as well. So venturing out to the three states, even though Arizona is where my heart is, it's made it a lot easier for me to be able to do my job and support these charities. 100% of the money we usually raise goes directly, I call it the end user, right. which is the families, <laughs> right. the families or the children. A lot of the times you or I, we make donations, we go to events, and we never really get to see where the money goes. I right. love... I love learning more about the charities, the families, and kind of following the paper trail because then you know where the money is going. You know if it's effective. You know if it's not just about the money, if, if it's more about raising awareness to a lot of them to raise awareness for the charities and who they are, where they're at in the programs and services that they have that families aren't aware of. That's very important to me. And that's how I met Brendan, the little one that you've met, is just learning more about the charity and volunteering. Volunteering is huge for me. So anybody that, you know, wants to come to our events and they don't have the financial uh, assistance or needs to make a donation and support financially, I say that working hours and donating your time is actually more valuable to most of the charities and myself. Yeah. And it's one of those things I was thinking about this earlier, because it's really frustrating as being a, a car person and, and trying to help plan events to find dealerships that even give two shifts. Yeah. 
you know, that's you ask them, okay, well, we're doing this thing. Can you donate 50 bucks? Have your name on the shirt? And they're like, well, our, mm-hmm. you know, all of our funds are gone or spoken for for the year. And I'm like, it's more than just a car meet too. You know, it's like yeah. make a difference, get out there and do something different. That's a, that's just a, that's kind of like a, a talking point that most of the dealers have. I've been fortunate enough. I, I worked for the dealers for 20 years. So I've worked at Right Toyota for 21 years, actually this summer, August. Um, so I started from the ground up. I know every square inch of that building. I know how to take care of it. I know how it runs. So when I started pitching, um, doing community things there, because we were doing so much offsite and the offsite events were great, but it's a lot of work for me to volunteer to do something offsite and bring like my rig with all this stuff. Cause we never go empty handed. We always bring stuff to, to raise more money. Um, so it was it was becoming a lot and there's no way to quantify is it working like is me going to these offset events working to bring people into my into the store and it's not always about the store either it's it's to let them know that you know everybody says oh toyota's the sponsor toyota sponsors everything and we're like no it's not toyota because there's 12 dealerships in the valley right. it's right toyota it's right, right toyota. exactly so once we built up this great rapport of people, like the, you know, we went to, uh, oh my God, Fuel Fest is coming up. Actually, what was the other one? Uh, Stance Nation and right. and the one that was I can't remember the name of it. Um, but we met a lot of people out at the auto shows when we were doing them in the car shows, and we kind of you know met people and built up this great rapport with people. We realized that some of the guys in these car clubs actually work for us as mechanics as loop tax. And so we wanted to support them. So then we started bringing the stuff to the store. And I think that the dealership, they've never been like, no, you can't do it. They're like, do what you want to do. We trust you, you know, just don't break anything. So. <laughs> and it's a good look, you know, it's a good look that makes a difference. It's not just a yeah. good look. It's, it's different than throwing some money and having your name on something that looks like you did something besides your money. Like you make stuff happen. It's literally, it is a David and Goliath type of a scenario where you're this one person and you're a female in a male dominated business. Although right. my company has never, ever played the gender roles at all. Um, they are probably one of the most diverse stores that I know of. Um, and they never waver from anything that I, we do pride month, we do, you name it, we do it. They never, ever step up and say, you know, it's not appropriate, it's inappropriate, or you should do this and less of that. I try to keep it very, throughout the, the year, keep it all honed in to make sure that we hit every aspect of where the need is. I don't care what it is. If they need help and it fits in with what, what I'm doing or they're legit, we're helping um, because, you know, giving has no, you know, there's no color behind giving. There's no race or religion behind giving. Either you give because you want to give. If you do it for the wrong reasons, it'll never work out for you. And everybody, we're talking to Jane D'Amelio. Jane, I got a big question for you. Mm-hmm. Why is it so important to you to make a difference and to do these charities? Oh, um, you know, good. you're going you're gonna to make me all emotional now. I grew up an extremely poor child, extremely poor. I didn't realize that we were actually like super poor until I was like probably 13 or 14 when I had wore the same pair of shoes for like four years because my mom would pass them down to my three sisters. (laughs) But I have 10 brothers and sisters. We we were raised in um, the projects in Boston. 
called Fidelis Way. I was born mm-hmm. in Columbia Point, which is the worst project in Massachusetts. So it is it is there right now. The crime is horrible there. Um, it got better for a while, but now it's pretty bad with everything that's been going down. So my parents moved us out of there into another project. So there's 10 of us. And then we lived there till I was 14. And we didn't have much, but I do remember that the in the summer meeting under the tree to get free lunches for the mm. for it was like church churches would right. do it and like after school programs government assistance, and we never thought we thought it was super cool. We didn't realize it was like here's your welfare cheese, you right. know. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, hey guys, we, coming up, let's it's meal time. And they were so nice. Like these yeah. people were so yeah. nice, you know, and that was at a time where you could meet a kid under a tree and give him a snack and, you know, you weren't a creeper. Like they were really nice people. And then um, Christmas, I remember one year, I don't remember um, them coming often, but one year my mom was like, hey, go outside. They're they're giving away toys for kids for Christmas from Santa. So we went down, you we went down these stairs and it was in like this dark basement underneath the projects. They had all these shelves picked out. And I was like one of the last kids and they gave me a naked doll. <laughs> I got a doll. She didn't have clothes, but I got a doll. <laughs> and I actually really loved that doll. But I remember, and it was officers that showed up to do that. Um, mm, okay. I remember yeah. that stuff. So when I started to volunteer, like wanting to, when I got out of the projects and my parents got a house because my brother was in the army and he helped with the with the VA loan. So we finally were able to get out of the projects when I was around 14 and then I was able to focus more on school and, you know, uh, not like the, you know, project running this because we did run the streets like we ran the streets. We had to be in by dark, like we dumpster dive, we collect cans like we had no money. So then, you know, we got this house and I was able to like get to a better school and I like sunk into like education and then doing all these volunteer programs that I knew nothing about. I was in choir. So, you know student council, you name it. I took anything to try to get caught up with being an actual child, you know, because we didn't have backpacks. We didn't get to go back shoes, clothes, shopping, you know, stuff like that. And then unfortunately I ended up in a shelter at 17. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was in, and we were in and out of shelters, like right. a, a lot because of uh, physical abuse. But at 17 is, I ended up in a shelter and, um, Again, some great people that try to comfort this, you know, poor abused child and my mom and my younger siblings. And so when I started working at Wright Toyota and I was approached to, just like you said, someone came into the dealership and said, hey, we're doing an event. Would you help us? I said, yes. And so we started with just a small donation and then a sponsorship and then me volunteering. So that's how it all started was me volunteering. And that was God, like like 16 years ago, maybe. And um, then me asking for more for the, for the organization that I was volunteering for. And my company was like, yeah, whatever you want, you know, it's great that you're doing this. And then when people saw that we were sponsoring this one thing, they're like, Hey, what do we, you know, will you sponsor us? Will you sponsor this? So the people that were a part of it started like coming to the store more, started engaging with us, starting to ask for more help and became our customers our loyal customers, nice. some of them to this day. Like I have, I taught catechism classes because I volunteered at the church. I have one of the kids that were in my second grade class. She comes in to get her car serviced. And she's like, you're my favorite teacher. I dropped <laughs> out after you left. You were those so much fun. 
So like I still have them coming in, you know, now now she's an adult. So it all started from my upbringing. So I, when people are like, why would I, why do I care about these poor kids? Or why do I want to support a homeless teen? You know, I don't know anybody. It doesn't affect me. I'm like, no, you do. You know me. So you never know the message you leave in one of these child's head. I could have used my upbringing as excuse to be a shit because I was a tyrant as a teenager. I was a violent girl. I would fight anybody. You're super hip. You're super cool. You're smoking. And I can, I can see you trying to throw down with anybody. I try not, I, I can throw down, but I don't like to because it reminds me of the past and we have to evolve from that. You know, we were raised in violence, we become violent, and then we, we either remain in that cycle of, of this poverty, violent person, or you evolve from it, you learn from exactly. it, and you help the people that are there now get away from it by telling them that, hey, I was there, and I know that God, I know what you feel inside, and it's not fun, and it's heart-wrenching. And, and if I can help anybody to get out of there and lead by an example so they realize that you know, I can evolve into something that, you know, I'm able to raise my children, I'm able to make good money, and I'm able to give back and break that cycle. Breaking the cycle has been huge for me. And I mean, I have two two children now. They're great. They have never known violence in their lives. But, you know, I, I've been very fortunate, and I don't know how it happened and and uh, what guided me to, to do such a 360 flip. But it's one thing to change your life, and then it's another thing to to go on and try to help change others. And that's just, it's just, it's been a calling, a passion, and it's just, it's it's therapy for me. Maybe some people say, and it's accomplishment for me. It's huge for me to be able to like help people and have them come back to me and tell me that that I made a difference, and that now they do. I tell you, being around, getting to know someone like you, it challenges people to do more. For people listening to this podcast, they may be thinking, okay, well, I'm not part of those dealerships across those states. You don't have to be, right? You can go out no, and just reach out. There's, there's, organiza- there's programs going on everywhere. I always, you know, a good place to start is because everybody's tied to social media. Just like go to the community pages in your neighborhood. They'll all have events that are going on in volunteer signups and, and need or ask on there hospitals do it, the churches do it, the public schools, the private schools do it. And then if, you know, Child Help is an amazing amazing charity in Arizona that help foster families and children that are in abuse situations and they always need volunteers. And you could set up, you know, just a community, you know, uh, back to school drive with your neighbors, you know, put a box outside, let all your, put a flyers on the mailbox of the neighbors, let them know that you're going to do a school supply to get like pencils and erasers and shoppers and notebooks. And then you can bring those to Child Help, who gives away a couple thousand stuffed backpacks a year to children in foster care. It is literally that simple. So speaking of backpacks, let's talk a little bit about Arizona Leos for something yeah. regional and local. And then let's expand to the McKenna Claire Foundation, which is everywhere. Yeah. So we are, um, It's. I think I'm going on my 15th year now. I, I, mean, I think I'm getting old because I'm losing track. 
But um, <laughs> <laughs> and that's another thing we I just told you as a kid we didn't have backpacks we didn't get to go shopping for backpacks and, and school supplies you know, but now I've been doing this for 15 years we do 500 to a thousand backpacks every year that are stuffed with school supplies. So here's this kid that didn't have a backpack. I don't ever remember shopping for a backpack. I may be wrong, but my mom never, she always says, no, I don't remember you guys having backpacks. Um, but now here's this kid that has in her lifetime given away, I would say 30,000 backpacks. Wow. And I can't do it without other people. But again, it's that impact that you can have, like right. going from not being able to get a backpack to giving, and just like bicycles, we do bicycles every year, you know, not having a bike to giving away a ton of bikes. Um, so what we do is the local dealerships, right Toyota, right Honda, Learner Row is a great uh, sponsor. They always help us. Arizona Leos, um, you can drop off or donate to them either online or or at their physical uh, address. So we collect and we're doing it right now. We're doing a school supply drive. Anything, glue, glue sticks, notebooks, backpacks. If you think that a child can use it, buy it. If it's something that you loved as a, as a child and you want to get it for a kid, buy it and you can drop it off at Right Toyota, Right Honda. If you don't have time to go shop and you want to make a small donation, I think a, a full backpack is about $25, $30 for us to make. You could, for every $30 donations on the Arizona Leo's website or even on their Facebook page, that makes a backpack for a child. The kids will um, have pizza parties with Arizona Leos. It's all agency law enforcement. And this is something they've been doing, again, for over 15 years. It's not something that they're like, oh, we need to start some community policing right now because things right. that are going things, wrong things are in bad. the nation. Let's, let's show face. Yeah, no, they've already no, been involved, this is, right? They've been doing it for decades. You and I both know there's been issues in all forms of law enforcement, you know, but not all, not all of them are bad. It's all about the kids and the kids love it. And it's just, it's always been our goal to let the children know that if they're, if they're, because again, coming from our background of being an abused child, I should have known that it was okay to tell an officer or, you know, walk into a police station. I didn't know this. And I didn't, I was afraid of officers, you know, um, because I saw them as um, a strong figure, kind of like my dad was a strong figure, but right. he was violent. I don't, I don't know what it was, but there was never a trust thing there. So we've always wanted to make it so that the walls down, the kids trust the officers to ask for help. You know how many times the officer goes to a door, knocks on the door, and they talk to the kid in private, and the kid's afraid to tell them that they're abused? Sure. Well, we want the kids to be afraid. And again, it goes back to the counselors, and it goes back to the you know, Department of Social Services. If they come to the door, it's not. And the DPS, the Department of Social Service workers, volunteer to help with this program. So they will uh, come out, stuff the backpack. So it's not, it is Arizona uh, law enforcement. But it goes towards, you know, other agencies as well that are all geared around supporting children in the community, you know, raising healthy kids. And so um, we just want that wall to be down. So you never know what kid we run into that was afraid of the cops. But now they, they you know, we did a little bit something and now they realize they can actually trust them to, to share, you know, hey, I need some help. So that's always been our goal is to, to community policing, I guess, is what it is and and let these kids know that we're we they can trust us regardless of what's out there. You can trust um, trust them to to stand up for them and to help them if they need it. So even though they're getting a great backpack, they, there's you know the the end goal is to hopefully build up um, the community's the children's trust in the in the policing that happens. So 
If you want to make a difference and donate a backpack, you can go to azleos.org, right? Yep, you can do it there. Or if you if you have a backpack your kid never used and it's brand new, drop it off at Ride Toyota or Ride Honda. If you have some school supplies, you know, uh, uh, what is it? Office Max has penny, penny sales. You know, you, you you spend a buck and you get an item for a penny. Um, Walmart donate some supplies. Is always an excellent source for some oh, of yeah, the Oh, yeah, 10 cent basics. crayons. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not So I hard. always watch the ads. No, coupon, I'm a, a huge coupon clipper. I buy in bulk. Um, if I can do it, every, anybody can do it. That's for sure. There's there's not some crazy signs to it. It's just the commitment to say, I want to do something. It's my, you know, I'm ready. You know, I want to make a difference. And I. Uh, it's not just about dropping off or making a donation online. You know, it's not about a hashtag either. <laughs> just right. It's not about a hashtag. And for everyone listening, I promise you, I promise you, there are multiple drives like this in every city, every major city. Mm-hmm. So go out there and make a difference. Talk about McKenna Clare Foundation. Oh, I love uh, McKenna Clare Foundation. So I, I met McKenna Clare Foundation when I started working at Toyota Huntington Beach store. I just threw an SOS, SOS out on, on, on Facebook, actually. And I said, hey, I'm going to be doing some philanthropy work in Huntington Beach. Can anybody recommend any charities that I should look into? Because again, I, was, I didn't live there. I was going in blind. Oh my God, the response was incredible. Um, I had over 300 wow. messages. Yeah, and the trends with them, there were like four or five that were like trending. You know, one was the Waymakers Youth Shelter, which we, we support. And um, it's a youth, youth shelter for runaway teens. And then the other one was McKenna Clare Foundation. McKenna Clare was a little girl that was raised, born and raised in Huntington Beach. She was a beautiful little girl who just one day wasn't feeling well. She was a little wobbly and her parents took her into the hospital and they got a horrible diagnosis of she has a terminal brain tumor. And they basically said, um, take her home and make her comfortable and make memories. It was super sad. And so I've learned from them. So we did decide to uh, start supporting them. Um, that there hasn't been therapies and research on child, this form of uh, brain cancer on children in, since 1970. So think about that. 50 years? Yeah, exactly. So, uh, and the therapies that they were using were therapies that were based on um, adults because if you donate $100 to any center that's doing cancer research, any lab, you know, any organization, maybe a dollar goes to research for childhood cancer. I don't think anybody realizes how little of the funds that we raise, and there's billions raised annually for cancer research, how much actually goes to um, pediatric cancer research. I didn't know this until I started um, working with McKenna Clare. It's been a couple of years now and with the American Cancer Society as well. I didn't realize how underfunded pediatric cancer was in there's a ton of people, and PCH, PCH is an amazing hospital. Best care that they can give. They are not a charity, though, and they do zero pediatric cancer research. But yet everybody funnels money into them at an alarming rate. And unless you say where you want the money to go, they're just putting it in, in a general fund, and they have so much funds right now. But the smaller charities like McKenna, McKenna Clare Foundation, who are actually doing research, they donated McKenna's um, – brain tumor to Stanford. They've been doing research on it ever since, and they're making some really good breakthroughs. 
And they may come up with a therapy in the next, I'd say, 24 months, hopefully, knock on wood, that they can start using to try to um, help these children. And the way that they're doing it is a port that goes directly into their brain, into the tumor, and it delivers the chemo medicine and the medicine that's going to shrink and kill that tumor or those cancer cells. Um, It goes directly into the tumor. So for September, which is Childhood Cancer Awareness Month, we are going to do a butterfly tour. So I just got the okay on this, and this is my first time doing this. And this is where the David and Goliath thing comes in. Mm -hmm. Every single one of the David Wilson stores are going to sell butterflies in their stores. So that's 18 dealerships all through Arizona, actually two in Arizona, all through California, Orange County, LA County, you know, South Coast, um, we're getting them all to buy in right now. I have one final meeting, but it looks it's looking super promising that we're going to be able to do them in all the stores, which, which is why it's the 2020 Butterfly Tour. Because you could go in, right, you, could, sure, sure. you could hit the link and you could just look at all the dealerships and you could go, uh, you can go wherever you want and, and uh, either donate directly to the charity or buy a butterfly. You can buy it in store, you can buy it online. And um, we just... Um, Toyota Motors does a matching grant. So we were able to, three of our stores picked up McKenna as, a, as one of their matching grant recipients. And so McKenna Clayer will get a $15,000 grant. They're, they're going to match, they're going to get money from the dealerships and then they're going to get a matching grant from Toyota with a total giving of over $15,000. So, and that's before he sold one butterfly. So I'm so excited about that. So if I wanted to contribute, I would just go to like Right Toyota in September and, and do it online. So if I'm not even anywhere around any of these dealerships, I can still make a difference. Yeah, well, I haven't. I, again, it's not up yet. We're getting all the, you know how it is, setting up websites and launch yes. pages and stuff like that. So we're getting ready to have our final meeting and then we're going to get everything launched and should be ready in August, end of August or mid-August. But then it will be up and running all through September. If you're not in the dealership, you can you should be able to go to our website. There will be a banner. You can hit it. It'll launch to their website, and you can make a donation directly to the charity. 100% is tax deductible, whether it's five dollars or fifty or five hundred. It doesn't matter. It's all tax deductible, and then 100% of the money goes to childhood cancer research. Will you come back on when you get everything situated to, so we can yeah. remind people how to make a difference? Yeah, for sure. I want to thank you for joining the Hard Parking Podcast, and I want to make sure we link up outside of the podcast and work on some projects together. Oh, I'd love to. You know that. Sounds good. Thanks, Jane. Thank you. I want to thank Jane D'Amelio for joining the show today. You can reach her on Instagram at Right Toyota, all one word, or Right Honda Official. Several people run those accounts, but just reference Jane. doesn't take a lot to make a difference. Like I said before, I'm one of the most charitable people, if not the most charitable person I've ever met in my life, and look forward to doing some some side work with her. Coming up, the Q&A I promised you guys where I answer your questions about cars, about whatever. If I read your question, you're automatically entered for a chance to win some show swag. Time for the Q&A segment sponsored by Last Air Brand Motorsports Clothing, vintage racing inspired apparel to celebrate and represent the 80s and 90s era of motorsports racing from Group B, Le Mans, IMSA, Indy, and Formula One. Follow them on Instagram at Last Air Brand or go shopping at lastairbrand.com. Tell them the Hard Parking Podcast sent you. This episode is kind of special for Q&A, so if you're new to this podcast, this is not typical. 
So what I did is I reached out to everybody on all the Instagram channels and even Facebook. And I said, hey, ask me a question, car question, non-car question, and I'll answer them. So here we go. I think I'm going to attack the non-car questions first. It's important to me, it's important to me that people understand that this is a non-automotive automotive podcast, which means we get into all sorts of stuff and we touch on vehicles as well. Kelly, we'll start with Kelly Suka. Can you speak Spanish? No. And I've been married to a Puerto Rican for 16 years. I speak about it as good a Spanish as a toddler speaks any language. So I babble, I make up words, I string a couple words together and typically they're not really relevant or I might spit something out that I may have learned in Spanish class all those years ago or something I picked up somewhere. Like, ¿Cuál es la fecha de hoy? I don't even know what I just said, but every time I say it, my mother-in-law starts laughing. I could say the basic words, but no, I really couldn't communicate in Spanish. So if you were to just drop me in the middle of a hot spot where all they spoke is Spanish, I'd die. I would have no idea what's going on. Kenny asks, do you still speak Vietnamese? So many of you listening to that question are like, what? What do you mean still speak? As I'd mentioned, I was adopted around the age of four. Well, four, I went to foster care. And as some of you know, I'm at least 47% Vietnamese. That's the only language that I knew. So I spoke about as much Vietnamese at the age of four as your average four-year-old speaks. Again, a lot of babbling, some words, some words are chained together, not really understanding a full comprehension, but the basics I knew. Haven't really been around it since, so I don't speak Vietnamese. I can say basic stuff. Café Suda, Pho Bo Bin, Boko, Beef Noodle Soup. Jaren594 asks, will COVID kill the movie theater business? This is a really good question from Jaren, and she's sent in some questions before. I'm going to say no. Now, we know AMC theaters and a f- bunch of the other theaters are struggling, which makes sense. They have this all this real estate, no one coming in, and then they're paying people furlough or severance or unemployment. I don't think it's going to kill the movie theater business. What's happening to them is happening to everybody. If they were already on the edge and struggling a little bit, maybe it would kill the entities, the theater companies, some of them. But no, everything's going to be back. Everything's going to be strong. All the blockbusters, got, they all got pushed back. And that's where they make all their money. So in my opinion, no. Supersticks asked, what's my favorite bourbon? So it used to be Bluff Springs. And why I say used to be, and Bluff Springs is really good. It's $24, semi-small batch bourbon. You can pick it up at Total Wine. It's, it's mild. Kind of like Bullet. Bullet bourbon is mild. Bullet bourbon is a good bourbon as well, except for I promised a good friend of mine that I wouldn't drink Bullet bourbon because they fired the founder's daughter once she came out as being gay. And they have a whole history of, uh, you can research this, they have a history of sexism and they don't support modern movements. And there's hundreds of alternatives out there. So I could, you know, wean off of Bullet for a while or forever. The reason I can't drink Bluff Springs anymore is because my body adjusts to some liquors to where I can drink it a little bit and it's like, okay, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. So now when I drink Bluff Springs, I get a really bad Asian flush reaction, which by the way is a real thing because all the people think it's funny. It's an ALDH2 deficiency. Look it up. What that means is it affects all sorts of people, but primarily people of East Asian descent. 
you're missing an enzyme that's vital in breaking down alcohol, which is why you flush and in some cases pass out. Kyosha Revolution asks, what is your favorite liquor you have currently, mixed or straight? First off, you can drink whatever you want, however you want. You come to my house, you're not mixing my spirits with anything unless it's vodka. Anything dark, you're drinking straight or on the rocks. On the rocks is a substitute with a splash of water, I guess. If you guys have checked out my page, J underscore travels, or even follow me for a while on social media, you know that I have a half-decent liquor collection. I don't just collect, but I actually drink. I think right now, Yamazaki is probably my favorite. But Eric Pasha of Last Airbrand really got me into Lagavulin, and I really like that too. But I just got Lagavulin Distiller's Edition, and it's a little too peaty, a little too smoky for me. I'm going to drink it, though. I'm going to drink it. Chris Nestor asked, if you could change careers, what would it be? So for those of you who don't know, like we're born yesterday or new to the podcast, I do healthcare IT. I'm a contractor. I work on electronic medical record systems. I work on Epic. I work on radiology, which is called Radiant. I haven't worked in three months because when COVID hit, everybody got let go because as a contractor, you're all overhead. You don't really make any money. Um, any of us can choose a different profession whenever we want. We can all change careers. Easier said than done. A lot of us have too much to lose to just start all over. But I'm fine where I'm at. If COVID kills all this stuff that I do, which it's not, but let's say it does, I don't know. I get compensated really well when I have a job. Maybe I try to turn this podcasting and social media into a real business. You can laugh. I would laugh. It's a lot harder than people think. It's easier to be a high school athlete and make it to the pros than it is to make it big on YouTube or podcasting. There's a lot of hard work involved, a lot of grinding. But I don't know. I try to do something with my voice, I guess. Maybe be a voice actor? I don't know. Good question. AZ McLaren, which is Todd, asks, What's your exercise routine these days? Todd, I don't exercise. People think I exercise. I don't exercise. I don't do push-ups. I don't do sit-ups. I don't go to the gym. I used to a long time ago. I walk up and down the steps a lot during the day because my office is on the second floor of the house. I walk right to the coffee pot, right to the beer fridge, right to the liquor cabinet, right back upstairs. At night, I go to the mailbox, take Izzy with me, my dog, and that's about the extent of it. Sometimes in the morning, I go for a walk. That's my exercise routine. I don't even know if that's a routine. Will asks, would Jet Li or Chuck Norris win in a fight? I like that question. One thing we know about Chuck Norris is he's immortal. You guys know how that time he got hit by, what was it in the movie they said what happened to him? He got bit by a king cobra after two weeks of pain. The cobra finally died. Yeah. Love Jet Li. I think Jet Li style, like if real talk, if we're talking fictional, it would probably be a draw. But real talk, if they met up on the street and actually had to use their skills, and if they were half as good as they are in the movies in real life, then Jet Li would wipe the floor with Chuck Norris, fight me, at me, or tell me, who do you think would win that fight? Podcast at gmail.com. Slow Turbo asks, would you rather live in 90 degree temperature with 80% humidity or 111 and no humidity? 
he's here in Arizona, like I am. I grew up in Texas, where it was regularly in the summer, uh, anywhere from 98 to 104, 105 on a regular summer. Humidity levels were kind of up there. Lived in Michigan, where the uh, temperature was an average of maybe 92 in the summer. Humidity was way up there. Now I live in Arizona, where the average temperature is well over 100 in the summer. And there's never no humidity. It's always somewhere between 18 and 30%. I'll just say this. I never want to live in Florida. Been to Florida on a few family trips in the summer where it's 86 degrees outside and you are sweating your ass off moving 50 feet. At least here in Arizona, you can walk to the mailbox, which is 150 feet away, and walk back and not break a sweat. It's kind of weird here, though. You're hot, but you don't realize you're hot. And then once you stop moving, your body starts catching up and you start sweating your ass off. Those people out here, you know what I'm talking about. I like it here. I'd rather live here. So there's your answer. Puzzled Minds Podcast asks, would you rather have toes as fingers or fingers as toes? I almost asked them to come on and explain this to me because I like their podcast and I'm doing a collab with them really soon. A couple of them probably. Would you rather have toes as fingers or fingers as toes? Now, this is assuming that you still have your toes and now you have fingers as toes or you can have either one or the other or your fingers and your toes swap positions. Like you have little nubs up top and these long things at the bottom or you have long things at top and long things at the bottom or you're rolling with the nub-nub life where you have nubs at the top and nubs at the bottom. I think I'd rather have, assuming I kept my hands... I wouldn't mind having long toes because then you can grab shit, you can climb, you can do whatever. Like a monkey. You can literally hold a soda pop, hold a beer. Yeah, I said soda pop. Hold your popcorn and then use the other free hand to grab and rotate. Yeah, I think I'd rather have like four sets of fingers. What would you rather have? Let's move on to the car questions. These car questions are pretty interesting. Some of them are really good. None of them suck. It's Austin Connolly asks, what was your first car? I think I've talked about this before in way early. But my first car was a 1976 four-door Cutlass Supreme. I got this car when my grandmother passed. and My parents sold me the car, which I never finished paying for, by the way. A lot of my friends love this car. This was like a really cool car to have, like in the hood. Back in the day, like 13-inch wheels were popular do some lowrider stuff, get some hydraulics. But I never really liked the car that much. I was always a sports car guy. I've always been a sports car guy, even a sports sedan, something a little nicer, more modern. I'm not into that super big classic cars from this late 70s and 80s. My father took it to go get a really crappy paint job. Mako, M-A-A-C-O. Literally, you can get your whole car painted like for 400 bucks. And it was a beautiful color. It was kind of a, I don't remember the original color, some sort of a blue. Then when he got it painted, it was kind of like this deep, like clear blue. And you could tell because some of it was on the chrome because that's what happens when you get a $400 paint job. I remember um, I had a battery in the back seat. I was taking it to return. It fell over and the battery acid spilled out. And it started off as a little little drop. And it just kept growing and growing and growing, kind of like aliens, like alien blood. It's incredibly caustic and it eats through everything. And that shit ate all the way down through the cushion you could see the springs and we had to put a seat cover over it like when pulp fiction how vince blew the dude's head off in the back seat 
He goes, hey, what do you think? Man, I don't even have an opinion. Bloom, hit a bump, brain all over the place. That's what my back seat looked like, minus the brain. But that was my first car, 1976 Cutlass Supreme. We have an unnamed listener from Bangladesh who asked, what's the best car movie or top three? I had to think about this for a while. And I think I've come up with, well, first off, it's like, okay, what really defines a car movie? Is it a car in a movie? And I decided to Google and I came up with a list of the top 33 car movies of all time, according to this website. I don't even know the website. Anyway, most of the movies on there I would definitely not call or consider a car movie, which basically tells me that's as vague as you get. So for me, I'm going to go ahead and say, in no particular order, Fast Five, I've seen that movie 50 times. I can watch it 50 more times. And that was the first Fast and Furious movie that really didn't feature cars that much but it had some really fun car scenes. Cannonball Run, the original one in 1981. I watched Cannonball Run 2 recently. That movie sucks. Like, it's terrible. I mean, that movie really sucks. But the first Cannonball had all the classic cars in it. When you're a little kid, like I was at the time, you're just, you're like, wow, Lamborghini, wow, Ferrari, wow, an ambulance. You know, know, it had every car. I mean, Jackie Chan guys go back that's one of the first movies i've ever seen jackie chan in drove a subaru an all-wheel drive subaru with a freaking rocket they used they like literally had a rocket out of the back where the hatch would open up and they'd jump in the second movie he drove a mitsubishi stereon but in the first movie it was a subaru gl all-wheel drive hatchback and then the third movie people are going to kill me on this but i'm going to go ahead and say gone in 60 seconds and it's such a terrible movie so unrealistic like the first two that i mentioned but I don't know. I mean, they just go down this this huge list of cars that just happen to all be in the same city and they have to jack all the cars overnight. And that's just, that's, it's kind of a cool movie. It's, it's both cool and corny, but I'd have to say, yeah. So Fast Five, Cannonball Run, and Gone in 60 Seconds are my top three car movies, I suppose, up to this point. There's a ton of other movies out there that are better movies, easily. But for my entertainment, I could probably watch all three of those. In fact, I think I'm going to go rent Cannonball, run the first one, and watch it again. Or try to find it on one of these 700 streaming services. Professional race car driver and team owner Tony Gaples of Black Dog Speed Shop in Illinois asked, What year did you get your NSX? What was the tipping point in the decision? What year did you get your NSX and what was the tipping point in the decision to buy the car? This is also a good question. I bought my NSX out of Minnesota in 2012, August of 2012. As some of you know, it's a car I've wanted for 20 years. And I finally got into a career where I was actually making a little bit of money once I graduated from school. It's the first time I could realistically look at NSX prices. And the NSXs at that point already had hit their bottom because of the market crash in 2007, 2008, and had started climbing back up. So I was on the tail end of the first climb before the new NSX was announced and they just kept climbing and climbing and climbing. So I was shopping for the NSXs online and I had a list of five, my top five, and they were anywhere from, I think, 30,000 up to 70,000. And they were all different too. Some were pop-ups, some had fixed lights. I didn't know if I was going to have to buy a salvage one and, and, and do something cool to it, buy one that costs a lot more and not be able to do anything to it. And I started looking at other cars, too, because I'm a typical car person. There's other cars I wanted. I was looking at the Aston Martin, like a V8 Vantage. 
at the time the vanquishes were still well over a hundred thousand dollars. So I wasn't even looking at that. And even the vantages I was looking at were still in the seventies. And I decided after 20 years, if I were to buy anything other than an NSX, I'd be cheating myself. And so that was really the tipping point in the decision to ultimately buy the car that I still have eight years later. Jupiter fish asks, are you gas brand bias? If so, how far out of the way will you go? This was a good question because I'm not really gas brand bias now, but I used to be. So back when I had my 1998-1999 GSR, two separate times because I bought one, I totaled it, and I got another one. I was living in Dallas, and I used to always go to Chevron. You always get the Chevron 93, I want to say 93 octane. Chevron with Techron because you wanted the best for your car. Over the years, I remember going to a place like Shell. Like You always went to a, like a name brand recognition place like BP, and you always were kind of cringy to go to some random gas station out in the middle of nowhere to save a couple cents. So there's times when you take road trips and you're driving, you're like, okay, well, Flying J's truck stop is coming up. Oh, but there's a Shell gas station in 20 miles. And you'll push it. You'll push it to go to Shell. But I did a little bit of research, and there's this thing called top-tier gas stations. You can Google it yourself, but almost every gas station brand you can think of is a top-tier gas station. Almost. And so they have to maintain a certain high rating. So you can go to any top-tier gas station now. I was curious. I looked it up. You know Costco gas is cheap as hell. Costco gas is actually a top-tier gas station. Something called BJ's is not, and Sam's gas, Sam's Club gas is not a top-tier gas station. So be thinking about that when you put that shitty gas in your tank. Look it up. But BP, Shell, Chevron, even some of the ones you think are not actually are. John Chu, which by the way, thank you, John. You sent in the first and so far only fan mail to the Hard Parking Podcast. I'm going to take that thing. I'm going to put it in a frame, hang it up in my studio. Thank you for the support. So John asked, with all the new money these days and the plethora he said plethora, and the plethora of supercars offered as well as the content available online. Are people getting jaded when they see a McLaren or even a Pagani? When I was a kid in the 80s, seeing a Porsche 930 or a Ferrari 308 GTB was a life-altering experience. John, that's a good question. I've thought about that often. And I don't know if people are getting jaded or not, but we have so much access to so many things that we didn't have back in the day. There's also a lot more cool cars than there were back in the day. Back when you're talking Ferrari 308 or Porsche 930, but you're right, you just don't see them everywhere. If you wanted to look at pictures of a Porsche, like you literally had to go to the store and file through these giant posters, whether you went to well, Walmart wasn't even really a thing back then. But the mall, I remember there were stores in the mall that were poster stores, like literally poster stores. And you walk in there and they have the giant posters and you just kind of flip them, flip and flip through till you find the one you want. You're like, oh shit, this is nice red Porsche 930 poster. It's in slot A6. They got 10 of them left. I'm grabbing one. That's how I had most of my posters. My walls were covered with posters. Whether it was Deion Sanders or a Vector W2 at the time and then they turned a W8, slant nose Porsche. But now to answer your question, it's everywhere. What I found is living where I live now in Arizona, like when I first moved out here from Michigan, and there's nice cars in Michigan, but you're like, oh shit, Porsche, 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 Ferrari, Ferrari, Lambo, Ferrari, Porsche. 
And after a while, you're just kind of like, oh, yeah, whatever. And it takes a special one. It takes a special one for you to look. Oh, look, it's a 918. Cool. So I think it's just having access because you can see whatever you want on Instagram, but still being able to see one in person still does stuff to people. Like I know a lot of photographers, like that's their dream shot. That's why you see the photographers crowd the corners of Cars and Coffee or they're walking around Cars and Coffee because they want to, they're, they're hoping that that one car or one of the cars that they desperately want to take pics of is there for their collection. It's like they're making their own wallpapers at home. So I think it's still there. Life's a little different, of course, but I think it's still there for them. For people like you and me, no, not really, but it's still there for some people. Kelly, who also had a question on the non-car, Kelly Suka, what car show is the best one you've gone to and why? I thought about this and I thought about this and I thought about it again and I keep coming back to the same thing. 2016, a handful of us went to AutoCon LA and it wasn't even about the car. It's never been about the car show, especially when you're not really competing. You park your car inside and you leave. You walk around with your friends and you don't go out there just for just a, for a day. You go out there for a weekend and you do stuff together. You go out, you know, you walk across the street and you have dinner. You go out and have Korean barbecue somewhere, you know, and that's what you, that's what you think about. You don't think about that car show. You think about the weekend as one big event. You know, you all split a house and you're just go to the store and you buy some drinks, you're having drinks at the house and you just create memories that way. So anything you can do where you, you're able to create memories, that's what makes it worth it. Because for those of you who go to car shows, for those of you who are in car shows, you have to get up early in the morning, you go and you set up and you have a chair. Maybe you don't have a chair and you're kind of stuck there. And honestly, they're boring after about 30 minutes. And you're sitting around all day and you're waiting for five o'clock for them to announce who won what. So that's why. I would say it's AutoCon and the first trip we went to us, 2016. Andy Kugler, which is ST and Little ST, asks, how often do you wash your car? Andy, it's a good question. It used to be never when I had it wrapped. It, like rarely I would wash the window, like the, yeah, the windows, the windshield, and clean the rims off, the wheels off. Maybe every once in a while I'll clean the back lower. They would uh, get a bunch of muck from driving around like an asshole. Now that the car is back to black, I still have yet to actually wash the car myself. And why I say myself is because when I first took the wrap off, I took it over to E8 Wraps, which is up in Scottsdale, and they went ahead and, out of courtesy, they did a free detail. And then it's just been in my garage. Like, I've gone out to a couple events, and I'll use waterless wash, and I'll spray it down and wipe it off, and that's about it. I haven't given it a thorough car wash. My power washer being down may or may not have anything to do with it, but it works now. So I got to pick on this next guy a little bit. Mr. Ronald McBean, local guy, nice guy. Double XF91 asks, if you were to buy a new NSX, would you stay with the Robotech theme? Like do a VF31J? Ronald, not Mr. Current Events, are you? Unwrapped the car two months ago. And another thing, the VF31J is actually from Macross. It never made it to Robotech. Those are two completely different things. Robotech had the Veritech fighter, which is the Valkyrie and Macross. Then the second generation had some stupid things. And then the third generation had the Alpha fighters, the Legios. Legios? Legios. Legios? From Scott Bernard and them. And those are super cool, but they don't have enough identifiable markings on them. But they never had 
the VF31J. So Jesus Calls Collect asks, if you had to choose your go-to classic road trip car, what would you choose? I thought about this, and there's a few things I would maybe pick because there's a lot of variables, but I figured, why don't I reach out to somebody who knows about road trips and is always on the road? So I called my friend Tyson, the famous aficionado Honda Acura collector with a million cars in his garage at home. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Good to be here. So what would you do? What's your classic go-to road trip car? Well, you kind of, you asked the question that uh, makes me reflect a little bit because having driven a specific car for about half a million miles now, I can really only answer that by saying, I don't think I could have picked a better car than the one that I ended up driving half a million miles. And I'll tell you why. It's a 1994 six-speed manual Acura Legend Coupe. To me, this car embodies everything about the road trip experience. So you have a stick shift. You've got that driver involvement and engagement. So you can have some fun on your road trip. You can be more in control of the car and have some fun while you're at it. Let's say your road trip takes you through some canyon roads. you got the ability to, to row your own gears for a little while. And then... At the same time, because it's based on a sedan chassis, it's heavy, it's a flagship, it's it's a solidly built car that also um, carries itself down the interstate with plenty of poise and, and seclusion. So really for a car that you know was designed sort of as an all-in-one, um, if I had to pick just one road trip car, that's going to be it. Um, and I think... Because it's it's not, you know, a straight up sports car that you would be sacrificing some of the room with cargo capacity and, you know, making sacrifices there with the ability to to haul a tent or to take um, a couple passengers with you if you want to have a road trip partner. So that's kind of my all-in-one road trip top pick. I have some couple of other ideas depending on if the road trip involved more off-roady type environments. But I don't know. What do you think, Jay? That's excellent. I think for me, I don't have a specific vehicle ironed down, but what I do know is I believe it would be some sort of a midsize, modern midsize SUV. Mm -hmm. So probably a late model Grand Cherokee or something because it's going to have everything I want. And it's got a little sport mode, I'm sure, just to make me feel like I'm doing something I'm not. Yeah, for sure. And my buddy, uh, I have a friend in uh, Northern Alberta, Canada, who he daily drives a Grand Cherokee with some of the high equipment packages like a, you know, Hemi and it's a Trailhawk sure. trim. And I mean, those SUVs are wicked fast. I mean, you're, you're talking about horsepower levels that can rival sports cars. And I guess in that regard, kind of to your point, it's sort of the lines are becoming blurred, right? You can, you can actually have an SUV or crossover that's fun to drive and fast at the same time as it is utilitarian for hauling stuff or towing a boat or, you know, a, a pop-up tent trailer or whatever, you know, it's pretty cool. Has all the modern inputs and all the mm -hmm. modern creature comforts. Yep, definitely. Thanks, Tyson. Thanks yeah. for coming and uh, helping answer that question. You bet. Happy to participate. Thanks. Talk to you all later. Right. We'll see you. Bye. So Slow Turbo, Chris asks, what are your feelings on big arrow and front-wheel drive cars such as Wings? This is a constant car community battle. You know, I've thought about this too, and 
I started off in front-wheel drive cars, and I see them all the time in motorsports, so I don't really understand how it would make a big difference, but what do I know? So I decided to reach out to Robbie Tormelin. Somebody kind of knows what he's talking about. Robbie, what do you think? Wings, man. Splitters and wings on front-wheel drive cars. So if you first off, like the best example is look at James Howland or Will All Young, the two fastest time attack drivers in the entire North American area. They both have giant wings on there and giant splitters. That should tell you something right there. Uh, they don't like they don't have them on there for drag for just for fun. They're trying to go fast and they are the fastest guys out there. But let's think about it more on the basic level. Now, a car has a fixed amount of weight, has a fixed amount of rubber on it. Does the car necessarily know what wheels are spinning? Does it know where it needs grip based on if you take the pla- engine's platform out of the way? If you just it's just a fixed weight with a fixed amount of tire grip. It really doesn't know. So I'm going to say no. It yeah, doesn't, it, it doesn't. It, it doesn't know. It's 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 just a it's just a, the data point. So adding a wing to the a rear of a, a front wheel drive car could be needed. It depends on a lot of things, a lot of setup issues. The car could be very oversteery under under light throttle. There's a couple of good examples online um, that people can search out there of people doing back to back lap times with a car that was set up for use with a wing and a car. But then you take that same car and take the wing off and the car is undrivable. So the stability-wise, it's huge on, on a rear wing and a splitter on a front-wheel drive car. So it's it's a very loaded question. It's definitely worth diving into more. But the short answer is yes, wings and splitters are perfectly effective on front-wheel drive cars. However, the car must be set up for them and the driver must be able to utilize them as well. So there you have somebody who knows what they're talking about. Thanks, Ravi. No problem. Have a great day, guys. You too. Bye. Bye. So Jaren asks, the same Jaren from before, what are your thoughts on all the effort Ford is putting into promoting the Bronco? Do you think it's going to be a competitor for the Jeeps or do you think it's just going to flame out like some of the other cars? Jaron, I reached out to a recent guest who has a media embargo and was not available to actually talk about it, but this person is a big time Ford person, gets invited to all the Ford showings, events, reveals. He's really excited about the vehicle. The Bronco is an extremely nostalgic vehicle for a lot of people. So this person says, the Bronco will absolutely compete with Jeep, and it's going to be a significant vehicle for Ford. And I agree. I went out and started Googling and looking and watching videos, and this thing is cool. In fact, Jeep is, so when we talk Jeep, we're talking like the Jeep Wrangler, the Renegades. We're not talking about the normal road Jeeps like a Grand Cherokee. But they're scrambling. And sometimes you need something to push, because I think Jeep has gotten lazy. This guy is really excited about the Bronco, the Bronco Sport coming, and I think it's here to stay. I think people are going to love it. And it looks like a Jeep. It's very off-roady. I don't think it's for me. I'd rather have the Mustang Mach-E if I had to pick something that, that Ford was releasing. But, yeah, I, I think it's. I think they're doing an excellent job, and they're, they're going to hit, hit a home run with this thing. I want to thank Jane D'Amelio for joining the show. If you want to reach out to her, again, I said hit up Right Honda. You can go to righthonda.com. You can go to righttoyota.com. I want to thank Tyson Hugie for dropping by and helping answer a question. Check him out on his blog, Drive to Five. It's a WordPress. He's pretty famous in the Honda Acura world. Also want to thank Robbie Tormelin. Owns a speed shop, owns a race shop. We don't lift racing. He's also a driving instructor, and he does time attack with, with his NSX. He is a guy on the Gears and Gasoline video. Not me, not Brandon, but the last guy. That's Robbie. So he knows what he's talking about. I want to thank everybody for participating in the Q&A. Got to thank our show sponsor for leave, first and foremost, NSX channel on Instagram, Last Air brand, dressupbolts.com, Kuya Automotive, and higher quality detail. If you want to reach the show, hardparkingpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow me on Instagram 
at NA2NSX or J underscore travels. That's J-H-A-E underscore travels. Check out the Teespring Hard Parking Podcast store. You can support this show. Link in the episode description for as low as 99 cents a month. Or if you really feel like balling $10, I'll take it. Please follow, rate, subscribe on your favorite podcast outlet. I can't grow unless you tell people how fantastic this podcast is. Let's do this. Let's grow this thing together. Shout out to all my fellow podcasters out there on the grind. Shut up!